our Bibles, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 5. And today in our study, the Sermon on the Mount, where we come to one of the most important statements that Jesus makes concerning those who are a part of his kingdom. Uh, everything that we've been over these past few months is important, but there is no verses that are as defining for a Christian, and nothing as important to the life of a Christian than what we find in these particular verses that end the fifth chapter. If I were to pull out the two most important verses that, we've, that we find in this chapter and in the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps I would talk about verse number 20 and verse number 47. Verse number 20 is a defining verse because that verse tells us that the righteousness that God requires cannot be a manufactured righteousness. What God requires is a standard that is so far above us that we can't do it naturally and it leaves us with no other choice than we must prostrate our, ourselves at the foot of the cross and ask for the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And indeed, these six examples that we've been through in Matthew 21 all the way down to verse 48 that we'll talk about today are intended to bring us to that very place. We are helpless if not for the grace and mercy of God in giving Christ to satisfy for us the righteousness that God demands. That's verse 20, but we also have verse number 47. And if you just glance at that for a moment, just the first part of the verse, it is also a defining verse. It says, And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? What do ye more than others? In other words, what is there about your faith, about your actions, about your life? What is there different about you than is different about those that are around you? And so thus we have the title of these four messages, the next four, The Gospel According to You. How do you present the gospel of Christ? And we all know that there are four gospel accounts that are written in Scripture. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are known as gospels. And what they do is they give a little bit different view of the life and the death of Christ and what he did for the redemption of man, but essentially they are one and the same. They're one and the same gospel. John states the purpose of his gospel probably a little more clearly than the others do because he says in the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That is the purpose of the Gospels, that when you read and when you see what Christ did, that you might have life through his name. But there's yet another Gospel. It's an unwritten one, and people are reading it every single day. It's the Gospel according to you. And that is, how do you present the life of Christ by what you do? Now, this last section of Matthew 5 is a defining one for kingdom citizens. There is either a gospel that is preached and lived by you that will magnify the name of Jesus Christ, or it's one that will confuse and obfuscate the teachings of Christ for everyone who reads it. So we're going to look at these last verses in Matthew 5, and we're going to draw out from this another of Jesus' remarkable statements and standards. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. Matthew 5, verse number 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. 
But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we're able to open your word today. And as I've stated in the introductory remarks that this is a defining verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture It's going to tell us about whether we have a correct gospel or an incorrect gospel that we live every day. Lord, help us to see this and understand better what you truly do mean by your commandments to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, the grand object of all the examples that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5 is to tell us about the true righteousness which is in God and what God expects from us. Now, I hope that those of you that have been with us through the entire study, uh, this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount, it's been many, several, many, many months that we've been on this, but uh, it's so important that it bears repeating almost every time that we speak on the subject. The problem with the crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus was that they had been taught a religion of self-righteousness. It was a system of self-righteousness. Now, these were people that had heard the message of the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament to read. They're not people who were barbarians. They're not people who didn't know anything at all about Jehovah God. We don't find these people worshiping uh, heathen gods and idols and heathen temples. But these are people who thought that they were getting the correct readings and the correct interpretation of the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, these were people who thought that they were getting the truth of the Mosaic Law, almost as if Moses was standing there himself and giving it to them. But what they were really being taught was something that was far different. They heard that this is what Moses said, but what they were actually getting was what their old rabbi said. And what they heard were the additions and the changes and the confusion and all of the things that had been substituted by the scribes and the Pharisees. And what they were teaching was a substandard system of religion. They were not able to live up to the high standards that are in God's law. And so in order to accommodate their lifestyles and to accommodate the injustices and the wickedness of their lives, they just invented a new standard and they called that God's holy standard. But it was actually a changing standard because whenever you invent some new law to live to and you find out that you can't actually even keep that law perfectly, then you just put another law in its place and then you have a new standard for you to live by. And that's what these people had done. They had so many laws that they were living by that it was impossible for them to understand and truly see the intent that God had when he gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And so in order to correct that, Jesus takes this uh, fifth chapter that we read in Matthew and he begins to give them examples, six different examples of how they had taken God's law and they had reshaped it, they had gutted it of all of its meaning, they changed it around and Jesus began to set the record straight. 
And these aren't the only examples that Jesus could have used. They are, these are just some of the worst ones, some of the more obvious and, uh, things that they had done that were against God's law and the, and the misinterpretations that they were giving the people. Now, it's important for us to understand that Jesus wasn't changing anything that was in the Old Testament. He's not adding something to it or taking anything away from it. But what Jesus is actually doing is expounding the true meaning of Old Testament law. And what we find when we hear the truth of the Old Testament law is that the law was good enough all along. It doesn't need to be changed. It was good in Moses' day. It was good by the time that it came uh, to Jesus and the people that he was preaching to. And the law of God is still good for us today. The law of God is still as binding upon us. The Ten Commandments are still as binding upon us in 2009 as they were in 1500 B.C. Now we also understand that the law was not intended to save anyone. God did not give us any laws to say, well, if you do these things, if you keep these particular laws, then this is your salvation. Keep them, do them, and then you can be saved. But what the law actually does is uh, make a comparison in our lives and what the law truly says. And whenever we put our lives up to the comparison of God's law, we find out that we always fall short and the law shows us man's sinfulness. So the law is actually like looking into a mirror. And when we look in that mirror, what we see is not pretty. God has a standard that says that you must be perfect. And in fact, Jesus said that in that last verse, verse number 48 in Matthew 5. He said, you must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I suppose then that there is nothing that could bring out the sinfulness of man and of every single person that's in this room today, including this preacher, than what Jesus says in this section. We're going to examine this, and it's very telling. It's revealing, and it's going to make you aware of whether you have the right gospel, the gospel is right according to you, or whether it is the same old problem that the scribes and Pharisees had. So that's the introduction, and that may help you a little bit to see why it's going to take me four weeks to get through this. So let's look at the Scriptures. Verse number 43 Jesus says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now when we read that, we're first stunned by this statement. Where would anyone ever get the idea that God taught people that you are to love your neighbors, but you are to hate your enemies? Now I've read the Old Testament through many, many times, and I've never seen a scripture that says this. Love your enemies and hate your neighbor. So where do we find anything like this? Well, the real problem here starts with this, and it is the definitions of the Jews. They had the Scriptures, just like you and me. They read the very same things that we read. So how did they come up with this, where Jesus says, "Ye have heard that it hath been said. Now, that's Jesus' familiar way of starting out these six examples. Either he says, you have heard it's been said, or it has been said. And that's a tip-off, that what Jesus is about to do is to correct something. And what he's about to say is not actually what Moses said, but what their old teachers had said. So he's going to correct that. They said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But that's not in the Old Testament. You can, you can search that over and over again, and you'll never find a scripture that says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. So how do they get this? Well, it's a matter of definitions, and it's also a matter of selective reading. Now, sometimes when preachers preach, they're guilty of wrong definitions, and they're also guilty of selective reading. So you can extract 
just about anything that you want from the Bible, if you change the definitions of words, and if you take scriptures out of their context, or read scripture alone and make that stand for everything that the Word of God has to say. Now, we deal with those kinds of things all the time. A Jehovah Witness or a Mormon may come to your door, and they will use terms that you're familiar with. They'll read scripture to you that you are familiar with, but you have to watch them. Because what they do is they use wrong definitions and they apply the Scriptures wrongly. So Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah Witness, and a host of others will take and use words like salvation and redemption and justification. They use the words, but they don't put with them the same meaning. And that's why you need to know the Scriptures. It's why you need to know the doctrines of the faith. So that when people give you wrong definitions, that you're aware of them and you know what the truth is. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They changed the meaning of words. Let me just show you how they did this. There's one word in this sentence that makes all the difference in the world if you interpret it wrongly. They said, love your neighbor. Now that sounds great. That is right on target. Love your neighbor. And isn't that what every good Christian in this room stands for? We believe it. Love your neighbor. And all the good Jews, they believe that too. Love your neighbor. I mean, that's in the Old Testament. That's in the law. They could read it in the law. And so they said, that's the truth. And they'll teach it and they'll say it. Love your neighbor. Let me read to you what they actually read. Leviticus 19, verse 18. The scripture says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So there you see it. It's in the law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. And there's no problem with that. We do believe that. But it's just like talking to a cultist or someone who comes knocking on your door with a false religion. They will always come with just enough truth where they can sink in their hook. And when they've got you hooked, they begin to funnel in all of their false doctrines. Rarely will anyone ever come to you with an outright confrontation or uh, refutation of Scripture. They come to you not with overt contradictions of what God says, but they come with those little bitty morsels of truth, and they sink in that hook, and then all of those false teachings will follow after it. And that is exactly what the Pharisees did. They gave a little bit of the truth, but in the process they changed the meaning. So what are they changing? Well, here it is. Who was their neighbor? That is the question, who is your neighbor? Now, love your neighbor, that's for sure. That's what Scripture says. But who is my neighbor? Now, if you give me the opportunity to define neighbor in the way that I want to define it, then I can make this my standard, and I promise you that I can live up to that standard. You just let me define who my neighbor is. Now, that was a problem all throughout Jewish history. Just who is my neighbor? And how are we to define that word? Well, let me tell you what they did. According to the Pharisees, my neighbor means me and mine. My neighbor means all the people that I can get along with. My neighbor essentially means all the people that I already like. And so if you're outside my little group and you're not in my little clique, then you're not my neighbor, and so I don't have to love you. And that was the practice of the Jews for a long, long time. Going back into the Old Testament times, now, neighbor had been defined and misinterpreted to mean Israelites. Now, at least they did this back in those days, is that they thought that it meant they were to love all of the Israelites, love other Jews. And that misapplication of that actually finally led them to where it became their duty to love Jews, just like the Bible says, but also 
it was their duty to hate everyone else. It was like a double command. Love the Jews, but you don't love other nations. You don't love them because they despise you. Those people can get in your way. They don't act like you. They don't look like you. They don't do things your way. And so it's your duty to hate them. So it was the national identity. You love people that are like you, and anybody else is automatically an enemy. And so if anybody comes in and they're an alien, they're not a part of the Jewish nation, then you are to hate that person. That is your enemy. Now, that was bad enough. But things got worse because after the intertestamental period was over, which was about 400 years, during that time of, between the Old and New Testament, there was this sack or the sect, rather, that arose called the Pharisees. And what they did was put an even more strict interpretation on this word neighbor. And they had a different definition for who is the enemy. Now, it's not love Jews and hate non-Jews. Now, it means to love a subset of the Jews. Love the ones that match your ideology. Love only the ones that are in your group. And so thus, you have these Pharisees who hate other Jews that were tax collectors. Those were called the publicans. They hated them. You have those who hate anybody that was what they called a sinner. And anybody was a sinner, or who they defined as a sinner, was people that didn't live up to their standards. The ones who didn't keep their laws. When Jesus and his disciples sat down to eat, and they ate with sinners, the Pharisees hated them. They despised him because Jesus didn't keep all of the laws and he was, he was fellowshipping with sinners and the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. They didn't keep all of the laws that these Pharisees said you must keep in order to be in the kingdom of God. And so they hated them because they wouldn't do it. And it wasn't just the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the same way. Now they are another group that, that arose during that intertestamental period and uh, they hated the Pharisees and the Pharisees hated them. And then all of them hated the Essenes and also the Herodians. And so what you have then are all these people that are hating everybody else because they're not like their group. And so if you're not in my clique, I can't get along with you. And the only time that they ever got together and they ever had any agreement on anything is when they all hated Christ and Christians. And so it all boiled down to the definition of neighbor. Let me define neighbor. Let me set the standard for neighbor, and I guarantee you that I can keep the Old Testament command, love thy neighbor. Now, we look at that and we say, well, that, that's terrible. How could people ever think like that? But do you think that Jesus was writing this for their benefit alone? No, he's talking about people today. These things go on today in our churches. And it can go on right here in Berean Baptist Church. You have your little clique you have the people that you like in the church and you stick with them and you don't want anybody else to get in on it. And so you say, Lord, bless me and Joe and Susie and Jane, us four and no more. And that is your whole attitude towards people that you're supposed to love. Now, let me throw in just something here a little bit extra too. Uh, today there's a movement that's popular. It's becoming very popular. It's called house churches. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church that begins in a house because that's the way they all began at the very beginning. The apostles started churches in houses. But there are some people that are moving to this today in 2009 because they essentially are thinking the same things. They want to get their little clique together and they want to get their interpretations of the scripture and people who believe just like they do in every single point. And so they get all their, their, their little group there together, their holy little group where they think is holy. And they say that, God bless us, God bless us for and no more. 
Let us define the doctrines that we want to define as we want to define them. Let us tell you who our neighbor is. And I promise you that we can snuggle up to Jesus all day long and we can keep this commandment, or at least think that we are, that we have a standard that says, love your neighbor. Well, that's wrong. And you probably got the idea now of what the Pharisees were doing. They twisted this all around because they had a self-righteous standard that they could keep. If they can change the definitions, and they can keep the standard. But that's not all that they did. Now, we read in the Old Testament law in Leviticus what the Bible said. But did you notice there's something that they left out? The first question is, who is my neighbor? And the second question is, what did they neglect? Now, they got this part right. The law most definitely says to love thy neighbor. But if we go back to Leviticus chapter 19, there's a couple of things that they left out. One was that they didn't finish the sentence. And the second is that they didn't read far enough. Leviticus 19.18 says one more time, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now it's kind of easy from that one verse to see how they got the wrong definition of neighbor. Moses said, Don't avenge or bear a grudge against the children of thy people. Well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Well, it looks like it means the children of thy people. And if they're of my nationality, if they're just like me, if it's my family, it's in my neighborhood, then that's the ones that I'm supposed to love. I don't mistreat them. I love them. Well, that's what I call the selective reading. This is where they take a verse of Scripture and they make that Scripture the only thing the Bible has to say about it when all that they really needed to do They had found a verse to establish a doctrine, and all they really needed to do was just read just a little bit further. Now, if you've ever read The Purpose Driven Church, and I mentioned that a few moments ago, this is what Rick Warren does. He skips around finding verses to support his theories. And not only does he just use one version of the Bible, but if he can find another version that states it in a little bit different way, in a a way that he thinks fits his propositions, and then he'll use another version of the Bible. In fact, he used 15 different versions to come up with his book. It's also what the Word of Faith movement does. You listen a little bit to uh, Joel Osteen and Mike Murdoch and Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer. And I do name the names because that's my warning to you who you need to stay away from. But those guys will pull verses of Scripture out of their context or out of their original meanings and they'll try to place one or two scriptures above the others and say, well, this is all the Bible has to say about it, and so this is what's going to happen. An example of that is in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Let me read that to you just by way of example to show you how it's done. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And so they take that kind of scripture, and they say, sow your seeds of faith. And by that they mean, send us the money. Send us the money, and we promise you that what will happen to you is that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will burst forth with new wine. But they left something out, didn't they? They didn't go far enough, and they didn't read all the scriptures concerning this, and they're not going to tell you that all of the apostles were dirt poor. And they're not going to tell you that Jesus had no place to lay his head. And they won't tell you that the Apostle Paul said, it's a given in the behalf of Christ to suffer for him. That is selective reading. It's not the whole counsel of God's word. 
And that's what the Pharisees did. They read Leviticus 19.18 and then they stopped reading. All they needed to do was read a few more verses and then they would get the whole meaning and the whole context of the law. Listen to verse number 34 in that same chapter, Leviticus 19. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, I and the Lord your God. Doesn't that broaden the context of neighbor? I mean, who are they supposed to love? He says, the stranger that is among you. These are not ones that are just Israelites. These are not just Jews. The stranger that is among you. And why were they to love them? It's because the Jews were strangers also. They lived in a land that wasn't theirs. They lived in a land where other people, in some way, measure another, took care of them, allowed them to live in that land. And those people that they lived among actually hated them. And so the law is teaching here that you don't treat somebody like that because you know what it feels like to be hated. You know what it feels like to be despised and have people beat you down. And that's what the Egyptians did to the Israelites. The Jews knew what it meant to be hated. And so God says, I don't want you to be the cause of anyone feeling like that. And so it's a godly principle for you to love that stranger even as he commands. Now, they didn't read far enough, and so they were selective about the Scriptures. And whenever you do that, you're always going to get messed up. Their purpose was because they were selfish and self-serving. And to love those that weren't in their little group and weren't in their little clique was a standard that was much too hard for them to keep. And so they just changed the definition. And they read the Scriptures the way that they wanted to read them, and they left the rest out. Then there's another thing that they left out. They neglected something else. Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Now the Pharisees said, Love your neighbor, but they left something out. And it's two very important words. As thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Leviticus 19.18 said that. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Down in verse number uh, 34, it says, Thou shalt love him as thyself, speaking of the stranger. So twice in the same chapter, he says, As thyself, but they left that out. Why would they leave it out? Because as thyself is a killer. I mean, if you're somebody who is self-righteous, as thyself is a real killer to you, because that's way beyond the standard that you want to live by. If you're the one who sets the standards that you can live by and you do actually get the definition correct of things like neighbor, you sure don't want to add as thyself to the end of it. Because if you add thyself to the end of it, those are the kinds of things that keep you awake at night, wondering how far short that you've fallen of God's standard. You don't want to add as thyself to this because if you change definitions and if you leave out part of it, then it's a standard that's much, much easier for you to live by. Now, we're just getting started in this, and I'm close to the end of my time, and you're not going to love me as yourself if I make you late for lunch, so I'm going to move along here. I'm going to wrap it up, this part of the message. Part, this part of the message, we're going to wrap it up here in this overarching principle. Now, we have much to go to understand verses 43 to verse 48, and that's because when you get into the Old Testament, you'll find some things that appear to be contradictory to this statement. Some things that God said and God did seem to be contradictory in the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to discuss that. And we have to discuss verse 47. What is the gospel according to you? I mean, how are you different from other people? 
So let me sum it up this way. That Jesus is showing us that changing interpretations and redefining things and leaving, leaving things out are not going to cut it with him. He's not going to accept that. Now, if you're going to get this thing right and you actually want to live in God's kingdom and you want to show that you have, you have a changed heart, then you need to go to Jesus and you need to listen to what he says because he is the one who sets the standard. We don't set standards. Christ does. Now, let's think about his standard for just a moment. He is expounding Old Testament law. And we come to this place that is a defining moment. Here is something said that is all important. And it puts the gospel right into your lap. This is a telling point of the gospel according to you. And actually, this is the hardest thing that you will ever have to do. Because what you're doing here when Jesus says, Love your neighbor as yourself, is that you are commanded to keep the last six This is particularly about those, the last six of the Ten Commandments, perfectly. Now, what are all those six about? Well, let's refer to something that Jesus said near to the end of Matthew. If you'll turn with me, please, over to Matthew 22, just a few pages. We're going to look at verse number 35. Matthew 22, verse number 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, and that word there, lawyer, is referring to the scribes. I don't have time to explain to you the difference in different types of scribes, but these were essentially scribes. And they asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The first division of the law is loving God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's what the first four commandments are about. The second division is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that is a like commandment. And it's a like commandment because that is the character of God. And so to keep the overall principle of the second division of the law must mean or does mean that you must keep All the subdivisions of the law perfectly. Now, what are the subdivisions of the law? Well, they're honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Now, you remember that Jesus has already showed us that in three of those subdivisions that we fall miserably short every single day. He says hatred, that's like murder. Same thing as murder. And he says lust, that's just like committing adultery. And he also tells us that you make a promise and you don't keep it. You've told a lie. And so every single day, there's those three, and we could talk about the others as well, if Jesus had given those examples. But there are three right there that we simply do not keep. And so he sums it all up by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how how hard is that? If he said, love your neighbor, then we'd be just fine. If he left off as yourself, we'd be okay with that, because then we would start to figure out, well... What is this love? And how much of that love do I have to actually give? And so if he said just love your neighbor, we'd all be sitting here trying to figure out how are we going to keep this command? And we would come up with a standard that we would keep, that we could keep. We'd be just like the Pharisees. Love your neighbor? Okay, let's figure out how much that is and we can determine how much we are to love. But he adds the little qualifier on the end. And the little qualifier is as yourself. And now we're hopeless. Because I'm not going to buy your groceries for you. 
like I do for myself. I'm not going to pay your house payments. I'm not going to buy your clothes like I buy clothes for me. You see, I'm simply not going to do anything for you in the same way that I do it for myself. If I see you driving an old clunker, I'm not going to go up to you and say, well, here are the keys to my new BMW. You drive that and I'll drive your 82 Plymouth. We're not going to do that. You see, it's an impossible thing. We can't keep the law perfectly. Now, we might do it a little bit, and we might do it in some ways, and we might do a little here and a little there, and we might show a little bit of love every now and then. But to do this perfectly, to love your neighbor exactly as you do yourself, you are not going to be able to do that. But that's Christ's standard. That's what he says you have to do. And why does he say that? Because that's the character of God. And we must be like God. We have to have his character. Now, Paul showed us how that Jesus Christ kept this perfectly. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you understand what that scripture is about? It's about the downward progression of Christ as he kept emptying himself. Emptying and emptying and emptying until we have everything that Christ had. He said, the word of God says, through his poverty, we became rich. He emptied himself of everything. That's what these verses are about. Jesus stepped off the throne that was going down. Jesus had no reputation in becoming a man. He was born in a stable. That's going down. He humbled himself to, to be obedient unto death, and that was going down. And he went even further down because he humbled himself to the death of the cross. And that is the most demeaning death that a human can die. And Jesus was empty himself of everything that he was. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And friends, you're just not going to get there. We're going to try it for the rest of our lives. We'll try to do exactly what the command says, but we are not going to empty ourselves of self perfectly and in the way that Jesus did it. And you know why we won't? Because essentially we're all Pharisees. Essentially, we're only going to go as far as we want to go, and we're not going to go any further. And do you understand, friends, this is why Jesus did what he did? This is why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to do for you what you are incapable of doing for yourself. That's the overarching principle of this chapter. We keep coming back to it time after time because Jesus hits us on the head six times in these 28 verses and says that our righteousness simply is not good enough God. And so what do we do? Well, we do what the law intended for us to do. We go to the lawgiver and we say to him, fix this for me. Fix it. I can't fix it. I'm hopelessly lost. I can't do anything about keeping your law. I can't keep your law perfectly. Fix it for me. And you know the good news is Jesus fixed it for us. He went to the cross. He lived a perfect life and went to the cross and he fixed it for us. It's our only hope. And hope reigns eternal because now we can have the perfect righteousness of Christ that God demands. And Christ will give that to us forever. 
Receiving that hope in Christ is not as difficult as keeping all of the Ten Commandments perfectly. It's not that difficult because you're never going to keep those Ten Commandments perfectly. So what God says, you can have this. You can have this perfect righteousness by faith. You must believe that Jesus Christ satisfied God for you. He met the impossible standard of God's law for you. And he says you can have it by faith. Now what I encourage you to do is if you've not trusted Christ, that you need to trust him right at this very moment. It's the only way that you'll ever be right with God. If you've kept the standard perfectly, if you have loved everybody as you love yourself, and you kept all of the Ten Commandments absolutely perfectly, you've never made a mistake of any kind, then I would tell you today, you can go out here skipping and hopping and you'd be, be as content as you can possibly be. But if you've not done that, if you have not kept God's law perfectly, then don't be content with the way that you're living right now. Don't be content to stay in your sin. You need to trust him. And you don't want to leave here today unless you have trusted him. You see, if you leave without knowing who Christ is, something could happen to you and your destiny is sealed. You're just like a dead man walking. And that is... Without the perfect righteousness of Christ, you are lost and you are forever condemned. So I encourage you, don't leave here today without Christ. Jesus is the only one who can take care of your sin problem. And he's the only one that can make you perfect as God requires you to be. You must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the only way that you'll ever get there is through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look into your word today and we see how far short that we fall of every standard that you've given. Time after time, Jesus shows that we haven't kept the law perfectly. And if we've ever tried to be saved by the law and justify ourselves by telling people how good we are and trying to compare ourselves to others and our sins to others and thinking that, well, I'm not as bad as that person there, may we see that that is not the standard. Standard is your righteousness and your holiness. It's the perfection of God, and we can never have that unless we trust Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came into the world, who died, and gave his life that that perfect righteousness could be given to us. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not received you as Savior, that they would understand very clearly that in order to satisfy God, to see God, to be in heaven, they must receive the righteousness of Christ through faith. So I ask you, Lord, to work in someone's heart today to bring them to faith in Jesus. For Christians who are here today and they need to answer the question, what do ye more than others? Is there a difference in our lives? Is the gospel being lived as it should be lived so it gives a right view of who Jesus is? That's a big question for all of us here that claim to be your people. So I pray, Lord, that you would lay it upon our hearts that we might have a correct gospel in our lives every single day. Bless as we sing this hymn, Lord, and we just pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.